Hey everybody, welcome to episode 2 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan, my name is Brandon. First and foremost, I want to thank anybody out there who downloaded episode 1, who subscribed to the podcast, or who left an iTunes review. The response since the first episode has been better than I could ever imagine, to be truthful. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I really truly appreciate it. And if you are a first-time listener, welcome to Metallicast. You can find the first episode in all future episodes at most likely the same place you found this one here, either on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, or our home site, fansnotexperts.com. Now, in episode one, I discussed how I discovered Metallica, and I mentioned that I was interested in hearing from some of you. So I went to the Metallica fan club forums and I made a post asking, how did you discover Metallica? And I was hoping to get one or two responses to possibly share on the air. And to be completely truthful, I got a lot, a lot of responses, way more than I ever thought I would. And I read each one. Each one was awesome. I appreciate each one. But I have too many great ones to choose from to read any on the air, to be truthful. Um, But I think the biggest takeaway for me was reading through each post and realizing how multi-generational Metallica is. There were people who posted who discovered the band in the early 80s in some club somewhere. There are others who, in 1986, their friend gave them a copy of Master Puppets. Others who, in 1989, heard uh, the song One or saw the music video on MTV. Others, like myself, first heard them when the Black Album came out in 1991. There was somebody who said the first Metallica song I ever heard was The Memory Remains on rock radio back in 1997. So, truly a multi-generational band. And the another big takeaway that I had was the amount of people who were into Metallica or who had heard Metallica and sort of rediscovered the band later on in life. Uh, There were a couple individuals who were fans and because life happened, you know, started a career, got married, had kids, they just sort of found themselves moving away from Metallica. And then later in life heard a song, maybe off Death Magnetic or Hardwired to Self-Destruct and rediscovered the band all over again. There was one person, forgive me for forgetting who it was, if you are listening, but there was one person who, that was his story. He was a fan, kind of got caught up in life, moved away from them, and then his son said, hey, Dad, check out this new song that I really like, and it was All Nightmare Long off Death Magnetic. And so his son is now a fan, and he sort of rediscovered the band through his own kid. So really cool stuff. Uh, thank you to everybody who shared Uh, Really awesome. But that was episode one. This is episode two. And in episode two, I'm going to talk about the time when Metallica got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think I can put a unique spin on this because I was there live in person. So for those of you who do not know, the Hall of Fame is based in the birthplace of rock and roll, Cleveland, Ohio. 
And if you go to www.rockhall.com, it explains the induction process. So I'm going to read a short bit from their website uh, because they do a better job of explaining the process than I would ever be able to do in my own words. So it says, each year, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation's nominating committee selects the group of artists nominated in the performer category. Ballots are then sent to more than 900 historians, members of the music industry, and artists, including every living Rock Hall inductee, and the five performers receiving the most votes become that year's induction class. Beginning in 2012, fans were given the chance to vote for nominees they'd like to see inducted into the Rock Hall. The top five vote-getters in the public poll form one ballot, which is weighted the same as the rest of the submitted ballots. So, basically, the Hall of Fame has a committee, they nominate a list of artists, and then the ballots are sent out to more than 900 people in the music industry, including anybody who's still living who's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They cast their vote. And as of 2012, a cool thing is that they are also giving fans the chance to vote and their vote counts for one ballot. Now, how do you become eligible as an artist to be nominated for induction? Uh, you become eligible for induction 25 years after the release of your first commercial recording. So for Metallica, their first commercial recording was Kill 'Em All, which came out in 1983. So if you do the math, carry the one, uh, let's see. 2008. That was the year they first were eligible to be nominated. They were not nominated until one year later in 2009. Now, like I explained before, just because you're nominated does not mean you're going to be inducted. They have a list of nominations. People vote. The five with the most votes they're the ones who get inducted. It's just like any other award. If you've ever seen the Grammy Awards or the Oscars, you have an award, you have multiple people nominated, one person wins the award. In this case, you have multiple nominees, five people get inducted. So this creates some controversy because, like anything, the Hall of Fame is not perfect. You have artists that spend years being eligible for nomination and are never nominated. You have artists that are nominated multiple times and have yet to be inducted. And this is a big controversy, especially in the heavy metal, hard rock scene. Because, like in most areas of the music industry, metal and hard rock does not always get the respect it deserves. Black Sabbath did not get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame until... A couple years before Metallica. And they were obviously... Their first album came out in 1970. So they were uh, eligible for induction for many, many years. And this past year, Judas Priest, again, a band who's been eligible to be inducted for many years, just got nominated for the first time. And they did not get the votes they needed. So they're nominated, but not inducted. So, a lot of controversy, but the cool thing is Black Sabbath's now in, Metallica's in. We're moving in the right direction for metal and hard rock. As far as the importance of the Hall of Fame, everybody also has a different opinion. My opinion is that it really, at the end of the day, does not mean much. Iron Maiden is not any less influential or popular because they're not in the Hall of Fame. 
But I do think that is a very cool uh, recognition of one's career. So while I do not think it's important, I do think it's very cool when an artist gets inducted because it is recognition of their work, of their catalog of music, the influence they've had on others. So I think it is a cool thing, but not necessarily an important thing. But going back to Metallica for a moment, I mentioned they first became eligible in 2008, 25 years after the release of their first album. They were nominated for the first time in 2009, and they got inducted. So what they did is pretty amazing and rare. I just went through the struggles of a band like Judas Priest. Spent years not being even nominated. Finally are nominated, do not get the induction. So what Metallica did is pretty rare and pretty amazing. But before we get to the actual induction of Metallica, let me back up a little bit and explain to you what that weekend was like for me. Because like I said at the start, I was there live in person. So at the time, I was living right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. So I flew into Cleveland, Ohio on a Friday. Now, this was a cool experience for a couple different reasons. One, before 2009, before the year Metallica was inducted, the induction ceremony was closed to the public. It was only for people within the music industry. It was invite only. This was the first year they sold tickets so fans could go. So that was a cool thing. Another cool thing was that the induction ceremony is not always in Cleveland, Ohio. In fact, the last uh, several years, it's been in New York City. But in Cleveland, Ohio, the Hall of Fame has a museum. That is their headquarters. That is where they're based out of. So it was really cool that the induction ceremony was, one, open to the public for the first time, and two, returned to its home in Cleveland. So Friday morning... We board the plane. I say we because I went with my wife, who at that time was just my girlfriend. Uh, We boarded the plane, and I swear to God, basically 75% of the plane was wearing a Metallica t-shirt. 100% of that plane was going to Cleveland for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. So that was a cool experience because I got to talk to a a lot of fans um, and other members of the fan club. And I actually found out there was a fan club party that night, which I may or may not have gone to because I may or may not have gotten too drunk and I may or may not have passed out by 8 o'clock p.m. that day. But I blame the Hard Rock Cafe in Cleveland, Ohio, for that happening. But this is another cool side story from that weekend, too. So my girlfriend and I, we went to the Hard Rock Cafe. To be quite honest, no disrespect if you're from Cleveland, but downtown, there's not a lot going on. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's some great places that we were completely ignorant about that we could have gone to, but our hotel was right in downtown, within walking distance to the museum, 
and there was just not a lot going on, not a lot of bars to go to or whatever, but we came across a Hard Rock Cafe. We went in, we ate, we drank for several hours, and then they told us we got to go. And I was like, why? Why do we got to go? It's like, I'm going to say, I'm going to make up a time, like 5 o'clock. Why do we got to go? You're, you're closing at 5 o'clock p.m.? And they were like, no, but we're having a party here. And they saw my Metallica shirt and they go, actually, Metallica's having a party here. And I was like, what? What? Is, uh, can, I, can I stay? Uh, what do I need to do to get into this party? Obviously, never got into the party. They kicked me out. Uh, but what Metallica did was they invited, I forget the exact number, but I believe it was like over 100 individuals who helped them in their career. They invited over 100 individuals to the Hall of Fame induction. And the night before at the Hard Rock Cafe, they shut the place down, they rented it out, and they had a big party with all those people. I'm talking Brian Slagel from Metal Blade Records, who, uh, you know, got them their first recording on the Metal Massacre compilation back in the early 80s. Talking journalists from Crane Magazine and other publications, uh, members of Anthrax, anybody who you can think of who helps the band basically through their breakout in the 1990s was there. So then Saturday, the next day, um, was not hungover at all because I got about good 15 hours of sleep since I passed out around 8 o'clock and woke up ready to go. Saw some Torsi stuff, um, including the museum, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum, which if you ever have the chance to go, I highly recommend it. Uh, I want to go back someday. So many cool things uh, from the history of music. Um, You know, another kind of controversy about the Hall of Fame is that it's not strictly rock and roll anymore. Uh, There are going to be blues musicians, jazz musicians, R&B musicians, um, hip-hop musicians who have been inducted. Um, And and that creates some controversy. Like a couple years ago, N.W.A. was inducted. People were like, they're not rock and roll. Um, But hey, it's kind of transformed into uh, a music history hall of fame and museum. And I'm fine with it. I think it's cool. Um, I actually found this really cool quote from Ice Cube uh, that says, Rock and roll is not an instrument. Rock and roll is not even a style of music. Rock and roll is a spirit. It's been going since the blues, jazz, bebop, soul, R&B, rock and roll, heavy metal, punk rock, and yes, hip-hop. And what connects us all is that spirit. Rock and roll is not conforming to the people who came before you, but creating your own path in music and in life. I thought that was kind of well put, and I agree for the most part with uh, the quote. Um, You know, I think rock and roll is a spirit. But, you know, I'm getting a little bit uh, um, off topic here. But the point is, if you ever get a chance to go to the museum, check it out. You're going to see so many cool artifacts from the history of music. Whether it is a suit that one of the Beatles wore, or a black guitar that Johnny Cash played, or a bass that Cliff Burton played. So many cool, cool things. If you're a fan of music, 
do yourself a favor, go to Cleveland, go to the museum. Like I said, I want to go back. So if you go, let me know. Maybe we can go together. <laughs> but uh, that night, after seeing the museum and all that, was the induction ceremony. So my girlfriend and I, we stood out on the street. We watched Metallica arrive, get out of their cars, walk the carpet, and into the building. And at that point, that was the closest I had ever been to a member of Metallica. Later on, I would get much closer and even meet some of them, but that can be another episode. So the induction ceremony is really a big concert. You have somebody come up, they induct an artist, and then they give their speeches, and then there's a performance. And sometimes the artist performs. Sometimes, if for some reason they're not able to perform or they're not willing to perform, somebody else will perform one of their songs. Uh, But generally, you get the artist themselves to perform. So the 2009 Hall of Fame class was Little Anthony and the Imperials, who, were, who was inducted by Smokey Robinson, uh, Bobby Womack, who was inducted by Ron Wood, Ron DMC, see, hip-hop, uh, again, controversial to some, who was inducted by Eminem, and then the two coolest things, Jeff Beck, who was nominated by the one and only Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, and the headliners... Metallica, who was nominated, or sorry, who was inducted by Flea. So, being the headliners, that means Metallica went on last. So, I forget who was inducted right before them, but I want to say Run DMC, but it could have been Jeff Beck. It was one of those two. Anyways, once the previous four artists were inducted, the balcony where the fans were just start chanting, Metallica, Metallica, Metallica. Echoing, echoing, so loud. This was feeling like a true Metallica concert. Everybody seemed to be there for them, for this moment. And then Flea comes out. Now, at the time, I was kind of like, he's sort of an odd choice. I mean, great musician. He's in a decent band, but sort of an odd choice to induct Metallica. But then I heard his induction speech and it was pretty damn perfect. Um, I'm actually going to play it for you. It's about 10 minutes. So if you've heard it already or you have no interest, skip ahead about 10 minutes. But I recommend if you've not heard it yet, you listen to it because he describes Metallica in a beautiful, beautiful way. To induct Metallica into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Flea! In uh, 1984, sometime 1984, I was on tour with my band in the middle of America somewhere. It was around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. 
We were all crammed into our van with all our equipment. It was raining outside, tired, been on the road. And uh, this music comes on the radio, and I couldn't believe that it fucking existed. It was like I had been living in this normal world where I knew what everything was that came on the radio, and all of a sudden my mind was being blown by this beautiful, violent thing that was unlike anything I had ever heard before in my life. That's right. I was just riveted to the radio, and all I could do, I, I was just staring at the radio, just staying, I was like, what the fuck? Holy shit! And I'm sitting there with Anthony, I'm like, dude, this is amazing! I was totally floored by this music. I just didn't know what to make of it. It had loud guitars and hollering, and it was fast as lightning, but it wasn't punk rock. It wasn't heavy metal. But it, it was precise and explosive and heavy, but quick on its feet. It just totally stood by itself, and it was standing boldly. It was aggressive and intense, and it had these really wild and bizarre rhythm changes, but it still held together as a bitchin'-ass song. I was singing along with it by the end, though it certainly wasn't using any conventional pop song pattern that I had ever heard. I don't, I don't know what it was. I didn't know what it was, but the only thing I knew for sure is that it was a mighty thing. That song was Fight Fire with Fire. Yeah. And it opened up my mind to the mighty force of nature that is Metallica. As time went by, I discovered this genre of music known as speed metal, thrash metal, whatever you want to call it. And I heard lots of other bands tapping a similar vein, but none of them came close to putting it all together like Metallica. Some might have more virtuosity, some might be crazier, and some are just really good and interesting bands. But whatever the intangible elements are that make a band the best, Metallica has them. They're for real. You can put all the best musicians in the world together in a room, create your dream fantasy band, and it doesn't mean that the sparks will fly when they start playing together. There are divine forces at work that make magic things happen, and in the rare instances when that magic happens in a band, it's not something that you can add up with regular math. It's a cosmic chemistry, and it is inexplicable. If it was merely a matter of a list of certain ingredients to make the amazing band, then anyone could do it, but that is impossible because it is truly a holy and magical fucking thing, and it only happens when the spiritual powers that be say so. So, if you ask, why does it rock? The answer to that question, to, grow, to quote the great Louis Armstrong, is if you have to ask, you will never know. When Metallica started in 1981, they didn't really take your typical path to success. I, I don't know if massive stardom and selling a zillion records was on their mind when they were getting the ball rolling, but if they were aiming to become one of the most successful rock bands of all time that they have become, they sure were going about it in a kooky way. In the world of three-minute-long, catchy pop songs that dominated the radio, these Metallica guys were writing and playing ten-minute-long songs that blasted your face off. I, I, don't, I don't think they were sitting around wondering how they could be a bunch of fancy rock stars. I just think they wanted to do some rockin'. Their motivation was and is pure. The fact that they have connected with the world in the way that they have is phenomenal. They have become a household name with music that is anything but mainstream. This is outsider music. And for it to do what it has done is truly mind-blowing.
Well, now one thing I know for sure is that they must have been thinking they were going to break into Casey Kasem's Top 40 Countdown on their debut record, Kill 'Em All. They were really going straight for the hit single with the song Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. Okay, I got to tell you, a five-minute-long bass solo, it's a ticket to commercial success, I, you know. Um, and and uh, being a bass solo myself, that song is one of the great moments in rock history for the electric bass guitar. Cliff Burton was an outstanding, superb, deep, and wicked virtuoso of a bass player. Um, in rock music, the majority of bass solos you hear are self-indulgent, overly technical, show-offy, and mostly kind of boring, you know? Um, every Cliff Burton bass solo I've ever heard is a soulful, psychedelic, head-banging expression that rocks your world, trips your brain out, and gets the house rocking. A beautiful piece of music played by an awesome rocker of a young man, a masterpiece of a human being. And when I hear him play, I hear a dude that knew his shit. He was a serious musician who delved into it with all the love and passion that is obvious in his playing. Um, the worst tragedy that could ever happen to anyone, in my opinion, is that when they die, they never sang their song that was inside of them. They never gave the gift that was inside of them. But the beautiful opposite of that is that when you, if you pass away and you know that you sang your song, you gave your gift, which is what Cliff Burton did, then that is the greatest accomplishment that I could ever hope for anybody. The space that he created in the history of music will last forever. No one else can ever fill it. He was one of a kind and I can never listen to any Metallica record without thinking of him. It is clear that the gift he gave lives on in that band's music, be he live or be he dead. And I say, God bless Cliff Burton, he rules. <clears throat> when I hear Metallica, I get this feeling that they are doing something that they have to do. Like there is this thing in them wound up so tight that they have to let it out, let that thing uncoil, it has to be released an infinite well of sadness, a hell of a lot of pain and anger, but mostly a lot of love for the process that they have created for releasing this stuff. It is always really absurd to me when I hear people speak of heavy music, angry, aggressive music, as being negative or healthy for children, and so on, blah, blah, blah. Firstly, the playing of ferocious music is the healthiest release of anger for the performer of it. It is alchemy, it is a metamorphosis, it is turning something potentially destructive and a source of misery into something beautiful, something rocking and something uplifting for the band and for the audience. The tradition of pain and hurt being a muse for great art is one of the greatest rites of passage for any art, art artist and that which touches us most deeply. Anyone who has ever been to a Metallica show and banged their head and thrown up the devil horns has been a part of something great for humanity. All those kids at a show rocking so hard to the brutal beat of Metallica have come together for those couple of hours in a way as healthy as any spiritual exercise, any group meditation, any love-in, anything. Um, it, you know, it is uplifting and it brings people together. Uh, you know, I love all music, but I say that Metallica has done as much to bring people together and bring joy into their lives as any hippie peace and love music ever has. <clears throat> For the people who give it up 
and get rocked by Metallica, the world is a lot less of a lonely place. When a person gets rocking to their music, everything else disappears, and that person is just one with the rock. It is an inexplicable, awesome thing, and I bow down to it. Metallica's career is a huge, dynamic thing. They have done it all. They have worked their way up from nothing, written and rocked the jams that rocked the world. Metallica is fucking rad. The music is bitching. It is unbelievable. The thing is, they continue to rock on. Whatever gets thrown at them, they persevere and they get stronger. They are a family. And it is as intense and inventive as ever. If you're going to have a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and if you're going to be really disciplined and strict about only ever allowing bands in it that have been true originals and that without question single-handedly furthered the evolution of the art form of rock and roll music, that pushed the envelope of what rock music is and that inspired countless others to try and follow in their footsteps on the new trail they blazed, then by that strictest criteria, you got to have Metallica in it. Metallica rules. Metallica is heavy. James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, Kirk Hammett, Robert Trujillo, Jason Newstead, and Cliff Burton. It is my sincere honor to induct you all into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So you'll hear there at the end, if you listen, Flea announces the individual members of Metallica who were inducted. James Heffield, Lars Arik, Kirk Hammett, Robert Trujillo, Jason Newstead, and Cliff Burden. So Metallica decided that any member who recorded with the band would be inducted. And this again, this word's coming up, controversy. This created some controversy. Metallica had two previous members Original bassist Rob McGovney, who really contributed nothing other than play bass on live shows, but he did not contribute to the songwriting, did not contribute to a rec- the recording process at all. But the other member was Dave Mustaine, who went on to form the band Megadeth. And Mustaine co-wrote some of the songs on Kill 'Em All and even on Ride the Lightning. So there was some controversy with some metalheads about if Dave Mustaine should have been nominated, or sorry, should have been inducted or not. Uh, Mustaine publicly spoke out and said he believes he should have been inducted. Um, Metallica invited him to the Hall of Fame ceremony to be a guest as one of those, you know, 100 individuals or so who helped contribute to the career. He declined the invitation saying, I'm not going to come if I'm not being inducted. He thought it was bullshit. Um, personally, I think Metallica made the right choice of inviting, uh, or rather having just the recording members being inducted. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Mustaine might have contributed to some riffs, um, maybe some solos, but he did not form that band. He did not name that band. He did not choose the musical direction of that band. He was never recorded with the band and at the end of the day he was only in the band for a couple years tops um so that's my opinion on it i think mustaine does get inducted down the road at some point with 
Megadeth. Um, but you know, this whole Metallica versus Megadeth thing is a bit silly, and I think is a uh, while I do think it's a bit silly, I also think it'll be a great topic for uh, another episode. Um, but that's my two cents on it. Um, I'm sure other people listening have different opinions, um, which is fine, which is great. Uh, but I was perfectly fine with the um, with Hetfield, Ulrich, Hammett, Trujillo, Newstead, and Burden being the only ones who got inducted. And then Metallica performed. They performed Master of Puppets, and they performed Inter Salmon, which I thought was a... If you only have uh, to choose two songs, I thought those were a good two songs to choose because they sort of... Um, kind of our summary of the biggest part of their career and the super super cool thing was that Trujillo and Newstead both played bass so they had two bass players and seeing Jason Newstead play with them was so cool he seemed so happy to be there uh the whole band seemed like they were having tons of fun and seemed super appreciative of the moment it was just really really cool but something happened that was even cooler. So after Metallica performed their two songs, uh, they did an all-star jam. And this is a traditional way that the Hall of Fame ends things at the induction ceremony. They have a bunch of different people who were inducted or who, are, or who were guests in attendance come out and they play a song. So Metallica did a cover of the Yardbird song, Train Kept a Rollin'. For those of you who do not know, Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page were both in the Yardbirds. Um, you might also know that song as covered by Aerosmith, and Joe Perry happened to be a guest there. So Metallica did Train Up to Rollin' with Flea on bass, in addition to Trujillo and Newstead, and they invited up Jeff Beck to play guitar, Jimmy Page to play guitar, Joe Perry to play guitar, and Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones, who was there to induct Bobby Womack, he also played guitar. It was on believable my girlfriend and i just sat there and in awe that we were had the privilege to witness this live to see all those legends share the stage and then just completely tear the roof down with this phenomenal cover it was amazing and it was so amazing that i'm going to play the actual performance for you so if you've not heard this listen to it if you have heard it, enjoy it all over again. This is rhythm guitar player heaven, all right? I don't have to compete with this. I just do this. Hit stop, back to the middle of 
So I think we should go out on a high note because for me, that performance was the highlight of the whole weekend. Everything that came before was cool. Seeing Metallica get inducted was a once in a lifetime experience. But seeing that performance, I mean, as a musician, as a fan, as a nerd, was truly awe-inspiring. And it was, to this day, probably my favorite musical moment that I ever got to witness live and in person. So, with that said, I mentioned before at the start of the episode, you can find Metallicast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and our home site, fansdownexperts.com. If you could subscribe, download, and even go to iTunes and leave a, a five-star review, I would appreciate it so, so much. Please help me spread the word about Metallicast if you like what you hear. Um, if you're on Twitter, follow me on there. This is kind of embarrassing, but at the end of episode one, I gave out my wrong Twitter handle. I said, follow me at, at Metallicast. Well, I hope whoever has that Twitter handle now has about 5 million followers. Um, but my Twitter handle, the correct one that you can follow me at, is at MetallicastPod. Again, follow me on Twitter, at MetallicastPod. Now, if you listen to episode one, you know I'm going to end every episode with a cover of a Metallica song. So, for episode two, I found this great duel called Mozart Heroes. And basically, they combine classical music with pop music and I found a performance that they did uh, this is performed on guitar and violoncello and it's a combination of Mozart and Metallica it starts with Symphony Number no. 40 by Mozart and it transitions into Inter Sandman by Metallica and it's a really cool uh, classical interpretation of probably their biggest song so let me know what you think of it on Twitter if you're on there. Um, I'm going to continue posting in the Metallica fan club forums, so find me on there as well. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, metal up your ass. Yeah!
Fabs not experts.